0: I think finding a passion and really going after something you like or love or has impacted your life in such a way is really important. Passion, dedication, teamwork. No one does anything alone. Hard work and not getting disheartened if something doesn't work out because nobody bats 100% at bat.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report Podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have this podcast and invite our first guest to the show, Dr. Rachel Bram. Dr. Bram, welcome.
0: Thank you, I'm delighted to be here.
1: So a little bit about Dr. Brem. Dr. Brem's a board certified diagnostic radiologist. She's the professor of radiology and vice chair of radiology at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences, as well as the director of breast imaging and interventional center. Dr. Brehm has been instrumental at an FDA clearance and introduction of numerous new breast cancer technologies, including molecular breast imaging, AI, and automated whole breast ultrasound to improve breast cancer detection in women with dense breasts. Dr. Brehm is also the principal investigator of numerous clinical trials. She has published more than hundred journal articles and manuscripts related to breast cancer and is the recipient of numerous honors and awards. Dr. Brem works extensively with members of the Hill to further education, awareness, and legislature to optimize breast cancer diagnosis and treatment. She is also the medical director and co founder of the Brem Foundation to Defeat Breast Cancer, which is dedicated to education, advocacy, and care in the underserved community. The Brem Foundation was instrumental in the passage of the DC breast density legislation, one of only a handful that require insurance coverage of essential additional imaging for women with dense breast tissue. Critically important legislation. As a breast cancer survivor herself, she understands and is committed to the science and the personal aspects of breast cancer. I could can think of no better guest to have on our podcast to talk about not only the work that you've done to drive medical imaging outcomes, but also what keeps you excited and what advances are coming to continue to drive the field forward. Dr. Brem, you've just had such an amazing story and diverse career in radiology. I'd love to start with just a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today.
0: Thank you. First of all, I'm just thrilled to be here and thank you for the lovely introduction. So, uh, you know, I was uh, brought up in a very traditional family. I was actually brought up to marry a doctor, not to be one. My parents were not very keen on my going to medical school initially. They had never known a woman doctor. My passion started when I was 12 and my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, we were told that she had six months to live. Gratefully, she lived 44 years and died at the age of 77, cancer-free, after many recurrences and a life filled by uh, breast cancer. But at that point, when I was 12 and um, had a 13-year-old brother and a 7-year-old brother, I decided that I would do everything I could to make sure that other young girls wouldn't be impacted by breast cancer as our family was. And so, as I uh, went to medical school, and I'm very lucky to be in medical school at a time where mammography was just beginning to become a mainstay of medical care and saw that women were dying less because of imaging and because of screening. And so I just decided that I really wanted to be part of that. And then throughout my career, I'd say that uh, Freud would have a lot to say as to why I went into breast imaging, but I think finding a passion and really going after something you like or love, or has impacted your life in such a way is really important. And in addition to that, as you journey through your career, the thing that's most important is looking around and finding needs. And when you see that need, trying to think of uh, novel ways of approaching and fixing a solution that needs to be fixed. So, if I'd say, you know, in my career, what what sort of motivated me? It's both passion and the need not. to to both practice the highest quality medicine, but also to find, identify uh, unmet needs and see if you could answer those needs, whether it's a new technology or the Brum Foundation to help underserved people or um, to mentor the next generation of breast imagers. So I think, you know, passion, dedication, teamwork, no one does anything alone, hard work and not getting uh, disheartened if something doesn't work out because nobody uh, bats 100% at bat. So I'd say those things.
1: It's really great advice and and you know how we think about MRI and Lines mission around improving outcomes really tied to the needs of patients as well as the needs of radiologists. I'm wondering if you can share any examples of how the work that you've done um, has contributed to bettering patient outcomes.
0: So you know, I'd start out by thinking about new technologies. You know, I was very lucky to be the principal investigator of one of the largest studies that resulted in the FDA clearance of automated whole breast ultrasound. Women with dense breasts had the perfect storm, higher risk of breast cancer, harder to find the cancers on mammogram. We needed a better way. And we knew that ultrasound found additional cancers, but we needed a more comprehensive workflow-friendly way and so I was involved with ABUS, and now sort of taking it to the next generation, and I'm involved in a very exciting new technology that just received FDA clearance called SoftView, which uses ultrasound tomography, both reflection and transmission ultrasound. So not only can we find more cancers, but we can do it with less false positive biopsies. So I think that that's really um, introducing new technologies, being very early on in the world of artificial intelligence, which is gonna uh, completely change the playing field and the landscape of initially breast imaging, but everything in, in medical care. And I think um, also the, the Brent Foundation, You know, if you would have t- asked me 20 years ago that I'd be involved in a nonprofit, I, I would have said, I don't know how to start a nonprofit, but we saw a need in DC where the death rate is the highest in the country from breast cancer and said, we've got to do something. So we started with education of women of all socioeconomic uh, levels, advocacy, um, and uh, really trying to change the world from multiple different ways. So I think it's trying to think outside of the box of ways that you can really help, whether it be new technologies, AI, um, ultrasound, molecular breast imaging, or whether it's helping the underserved community.
1: That's fantastic. I'd love to dig in a little bit more about SoftView and how your experience with Abis translates. A lot of the reason that people come to MRI online is because they want to learn a new specialty, they want to learn a new skill, they want to hear about what's coming, and SoftView and AI and new modalities are are constantly coming. What are the barriers to driving that adoption? Because a lot of people, you know, they're reading about it, but maybe it hasn't reached their clinic yet. Maybe it hasn't received clearance, or maybe it hasn't received reimbursements, or maybe there's some other technology problem to drive adoption. Maybe the referring community is not there. I'm just curious, what are the types of barriers that you've seen bringing new technologies to market, and how do you overcome them?
0: Change is hard. Change is really hard. And we've seen this and I'll, I'll live in my world of breast imaging but it's true in everything in radiology and in medicine in fact uh you know when we first started doing tomo synthesis 3d mammography we didn't know how to read it we didn't know how to approach it how were we going to be able to handle the increased workflow that that it uh resulted in and somehow we found our path forward we you know have requirements for training eight hours of requirements and now over 50% of the mammograms in the United States are 3D. With uh, ABUS and SoftView, it's a combination of uh, both new technologies and again, finding solutions. So a handheld ultrasound can be very onerous. It can take 20 minutes of technologist time. And then, you know, of course you have to rely on the technologist to look at the imaging and find the abnormalities. So the question was, could we find a way that the radiologist could image the study And and that's how ABIS came to be. It looks different than anything else that we have. And so again, it's a requirement of multiple hours of training and getting comfortable with it. But there are problems with ABIS. One is it's quite uncomfortable for women. It requires a great deal of compression. Uh, The second is it's really not FDA clear to be done at the same time. And the Mm -hmm. third is there's a lot of false positives. And the last is, is the hardest, meaning, You know, we find more cancers, but we find lots of other things too that need biopsies. And so the next sort of generation of this is soft you, where you have ultrasound that not only is the reflection, the typical kind, but also transmission going through tissue that gives us information about tissue characterization. And not only does it find more cancers in women with dense breasts, but it results in less biopsies and it doesn't require any compression and it is cleared for same day so it's finding a solution, then finding the challenges, and uh, you know finding the way to overcome the limitations of the new technology. And some of those limitation, a lot of those limitation, is the reticence to harness this really wonderful life-saving technologies because of uncomfortableness and in interpretation. And I think that's a, you know something that MRI online can really impact by the more widespread introduction or, or um, integration into clinical practice of new technologies by making the radiologist comfortable with it. And you know, there's always a learning curve, but once you learn a new technology, you can find ways to effectively integrate it into clinical practice and also overcome the reticence of what do I do with that lesion? What do I do with that lesion? And that's all about training.
1: Absolutely. And you, you you spoke about this a little bit around you know general radiologists and how the role they can play in improving patient outcomes. It seems like this is a really important tool for them. Um, you know when can they expect to see some of these technologies, and when should they you know start bringing them into their practice?
0: So uh, you know that's an interesting question. Um, there are a lot of technologies that are out there now that you know, I would say really have the opportunity to save lives. And so it takes that leap, leap of faith, leap of education, leap of training and leap of discomfort. You know, getting out of your comfort zone is a really important thing. You really can't move forward without getting out of your comfort zone. And Lord knows radiologists, all physicians have done it so much. And, you know, in, in training and becoming a physician and making the call So I'd say sort of coming to grips with getting out of your comfort zone, getting the training that you need, but there's a lot of technology out there that I would strongly encourage um, radiologists to integrate. AI, artificial intelligence. It's here, it's now, it's FDA cleared. And I think one of the things that um, is really important for general radiologists to know is it may decrease your discomfort zone, if you will, because there are a lot of studies that have shown that artificial intelligence can allow general radiologists to po- perform at the level of sub-specialized radiologists and those with less training to perform like those who do nothing but breast imaging. So that's, you know, once you learn how to use the technology, you should feel comfortable that it will bring you to a level that you couldn't have achieved without it. It's not all about stumbling and integration. It's about Initiation into a practice, and then uh, you know AI can help you decide which lesions to biopsy, which not to biopsy. You know, Avis can help find cancers, but you can help find cancers and decrease the biopsy rate. So I'd say, you know, all of these technologies are here and now. And I think uh, you know when we when we think about what's coming in the future, there's a lot of exciting things that are coming in the future. But these things that for some sound Futuristic are really here and now. And it's uh, finding out about it, finding out about the technology that you're comfortable with, finding out about how to get trained to integrate it, and understanding that after the initial integration, you're going to feel more comfortable. Uh, You're going to find more cancer. You're going to do a better job with interpretation than you did before. So I think it's taking on the mantle of coming out of your comfort zone for a bit to really be able to. Uh, both help patients and yourself with your comfort of interpretation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very well said. Uh, Just the amount of existing tools that people can be integrating, not just here, but also abroad. I know a lot of the work that you've done has been focused on uh, the domestic audience, but one of the powerful things about the internet is the ability for us to reach people all around the world. Um, We had a customer recently from India who was sharing with us how variable the imaging disparities and imaging outcomes are, especially among women in India. The adoption rates are not where they are, you know, for mammography, let alone um, 3D tomo and, and other advanced modalities. And so, you know they've been trying to take our training courses so that they can then lead the charge in their local communities in order to um, grow their impact. And so uh, the impact that people can have, by investing in themselves and, and taking charge to make a difference is, is really profound.
0: And that's especially true, Daniel. It's true in the United States, you know, we know that there are geographic differences in performance of interpretation. But that's even more true outside of the United States. If you look globally at, you know, my world, breast cancer, right? If you look globally at the death rate from breast cancer, there are parts of the world that the incidence of the disease and the death rate um, are almost the same. And that's really unacceptable when we see that in the United States, we've had a 40% reduction in the death rate from breast cancer over the past two decades. So we can use some of these technologies to really help foster improved outcomes and overcome the limitations in India, in, in Africa, uh, where they don't have as many radiologists as in need, as you, as you started out by saying, you know, the dear resource, human resource, it's the most uh, unavailable and precious resource. And we can use, we can really harness the power of our technology. So you can imagine in places, I mean, AI for mammograms, whether it's 2D or 3D, and 2D mammography in third world countries is probably, you know, sufficient. So we don't get that incremental gain, but we can make such a big impact. You know, we can resource our dollars or optimally, but, Imagine if, you know, you'd never have a radiologist seeing 90% of the mammograms because AI says there's no cancer there and you can reliably uh, believe that because AI does, it is at the point of development, whether it's for mammography or for pulmonary emboli or for stroke, you know, there's so many applications that it really functions as well as a radiologist that we can use that to help. Um, fix the disparities in healthcare, both in the United States and globally.
1: Fantastic. Any questions that we didn't hit on that you want to get to that you think we should talk through?
0: You know, I, I think maybe we could just talk about, you know, I think we've achieved so much in the years that I've been practicing, but I really am looking to the future to see what else is coming. And there's so many exciting things that are coming, whether it's, you know, liquid biopsies, where we'll be able to find cancers before we can even image them and imagine what the outcome is, or, you know, vaccines. We've lived now in a time where we've seen the extraordinary impact of vaccines with a single infectious disease. And I think maybe really uh, not only thinking about individualized technologies, but really looking at personalized medicine as a way of impacting our care in the future. You know, no two cancers are alike, and, and we can deal with that increasingly based on a person, but molecular profiling. And, and for me personally, one of the things that I'm you know so excited about is looking, harnessing the genomic information and in imaging, whether it's an MRI or mammograms, to be able to tell a woman what her risk is, not what her risk is based on a population that has similar characteristics. So you know I think that's really exciting and we we have the the bases for that now. And I think in the near future we'll be able to see that as well.
1: I've been so intrigued and excited by personalized medicine. I think at the most currently, you know, the, the most commercialized is the genetic risk scores and the surveys that they do, which is sort of a 1.0 version, getting your family history, but, but pairing that data with your genetic data is really, really interesting. I've been reading about it. Where is it? When's it coming? What are the things have you been seeing experiments going on in academia that you're excited about here? Or um, where, where is it in its life cycle?
0: So I think it's early, but not infancy.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: You know, we know that we can use things like background parenchymal enhancement uh, as a risk marker for breast cancer. We can use information on a mammogram that can glean information beyond the risk you think about it, you know, when we do risk assessment, whether we use whatever model, Gale, tire Cusick, you know, those are really population-based risks. You take women with similar factors, but what is my risk, my individualized risk? And we can get a lot of that information uh, with information that's in imaging, whether it be mammography, MR, or other organs, and then we can pair that with breast density and pair it with genomic information and I think it won't be long before we can really uh, pinpoint uh, a woman's risk and then think about the the consequences of that in terms of resource allocation and decreasing false positives or increasing the screening of very high risk women so you know the thirty five year old with metastatic cancer never comes in. And also thinking about things like um you know breast density is such an important thing we hear more and more about it but We've now just begun to be able to get that information without ionizing radiation. And I think that's going to be a game changer as well.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm very grateful to you. I'm very excited about the future that you paint, um, as well as the future that you've created already through your amazing work. We are very uh, happy to have you on the podcast and look forward to further conversations on this important topic.
0: I'm delighted to be here and um, I look forward to hearing the rest of the podcasts as well. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.